And we're going to think about the words of verse 7 tonight. And she brought forth, and Mary brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Just those words, no room in the inn. We're going to dwell upon that tonight. But let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the truths that are contained therein. We thank you for this night. We thank you for the manner in which we can come together to worship you at this season. We pray that you will be with us now as we would consider your truth. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And amen. Thronging. Bustling crowds filled the streets of Bethlehem. This was the time of the census. The Roman emperor had decided that the people in his great empire had to be counted because he wanted to raise more taxes. And to raise more taxes, it was important that he knew exactly who the people were that he needed to get the tax from. It's always been something that governments have been seeking to achieve since ever there was a government, how they can get more taxes out of their population. There's nothing new about that. But there was something very special about this decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And, and, and by the way, the month of August, uh, that's why we have the month of August. Well, it's not why we have that particular time of the year, but it's why we have a month called August. It's called after this man, Caesar Augustus. And this man, Caesar Augustus, he decided that the world would be taxed, but you know, it wasn't just his decision, it was God's decision. God decreed that at that moment in time, that the world would be taxed, the great empire would be taxed at that particular moment. Because everyone had to go into his old city. And Joseph, he therefore had to go to Bethlehem. And Mary was carrying this precious baby, the one who is the Son of God. And it was decreed that he would be born in Bethlehem in the city of David, and yet they lived in Nazareth, so many miles away, way to the north of the country. And no one would have dreamed of making that journey, but when the law said you had to make that journey, Joseph had to go. And so this young couple were weary after their journey. Heavily pregnant, Mary was exhausted, and she was so tired. And here they came to this busy, bustling place because many people had come here to register. And they needed a place for the night. And they went from place to place. They went to all of the available places where they could potentially have found a, a room for the night. But the response in each place was, fill up, no vacancy. And I am sure that Joseph, being the just man that he was, the kind man that he was, he would have pleaded their case, look at, look at Mary. She's about to have this child. We, we need somewhere that's dry and warm and clean. Is there nobody that can just give up their bed for a night just to help us out? But there was no room. And eventually, they find a place. They find a stable. 
And it is probably a stable belonging to the inn because this stable is connected with the inn. There was no room in the inn, but there was room in the stable. And the stable was, in all likelihood, a cave. And there the animals were fed, and there there was straw and fresh hay. And very soon that evening, the animals witnessed one of the most amazing events in world history. A child was born. And very soon, the silence of that night was broken by the sound of a, a baby crying. I don't subscribe to the idea, no crying he makes. It sounds very nice when we sing it, but it's not a sin for a child to cry. A child cries when a child is hungry. A child cries when a child needs assistance. Is there a way of communicating? To think the Lord Jesus didn't communicate in that way, I think, would be nonsensical. Certainly, he didn't cry because he was petulant, because he was angry. Sometimes the children do that. But he cried because he needed a mother's care. And here we have the one that made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And here we have the one who was there at the creation whenever all was made. Here was the one that knew all things, and yet he has come into the womb of a virgin, and now he is wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger in a bed of straw. And the reason why he is there is because there was no room in the inn. There's just three simple thoughts I want to bring before you tonight about this fact that there was no room in the inn. The first place, the, the first observation is poverty. Poverty. The reason why he was in this inn was because he, he was poor. He was born in real poverty. He wasn't born in a palace. When the wise men came, they went to the palace. That's where they would have expected the king to be. We can't blame them for thinking like that. But there was no palace. There was a stable. His mother was not a, a princess or a queen. We might have anticipated that. But a simple peasant girl. And this immediately set the tone for his entire life. His entire life would be spent in physical, natural poverty. Remember the time he needed a coin in order to teach the simple lesson that one should render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's? Is it right to pay your tax to a government, even if that is an evil government or not? And where did he get the coin from? He got it from the mouth of the fish because he had no coins. And there was one occasion where he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man's got nowhere to lay his head. It is astonishing when you think of who he is. The heavens and the earth cannot contain his presence. He is everywhere because he is God, very God of very God. And yet... He was born in a stable, and he was laid in a manger. And so the first lesson we see here is poverty. But there's another lesson that we're going to think about. We have his passion. We have his passion. You see, 
in this stable, as he is laid in this manger, we can foresee something that would take place 33 years later, whenever he would die on the cross. The stable takes us directly to the cross. Let, let's think of these swaddling bands for a moment. Over in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16, we learn something about swaddling bands and their association with babies. And there we read, And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. And there God is talking about the possibility of a child not being looked after. And if a child was not looked after, that child was not wrapped in swaddling bands. The swaddling bands was a sign of a child well cared for. Now, the swaddling bands were pieces of clean linen, and they were wrapped around the child so very tight. And there was a reason for them. It was believed that the tightness of the swaddling bands replicated to some degree the comfort and closeness of the mother's womb. And so when the child comes out of the mother's womb into the the bright world, into the vastness of the world, and what a shocking thing it must be for that little one to be born. The swaddling bands are wrapped around the child as a, as a comfort. And, and that's why they were used. And they were considered for generations, at least in the East, as, as being vital for the care of the baby. But yet we learn from Ezekiel 16 that the child that was born... The umbilical cord was severed. We, we read that in verse 4. There, there was the washing in water, also in verse 4, so the child was washed. Child was salted at all, as well. And salt, of course, is a, is a great remedy. It's great for removing infection. And it's not mentioned here in Ezekiel, but olive oil was probably used as well because it was regarded as being so good so kind for the skin, and, and so it is. We know all the properties of the, the olive tree. And, and so we, we learn these details about swaddling here in Exodus chapter 16. But then there's something else about these swaddling bands that we get from Luke chapter 2, which is also quite interesting because as the Lord was born, the shepherds, they saw the glory of the Lord and they saw the angel and they heard the great choir of angels. And what was said to them in Luke chapter 2 and the verse 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. This shall be a sign. There was something very special about these swaddling clothes. The babe lying in the manger, something so special that it was a sign to the shepherds. What was it about the, the manger, the, 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 the stable, the swaddling bands, the baby, that 
that was important where the shepherds are concerned. Because we wouldn't necessarily read this and say, ah, that, that, that is the sign. But it was the sign. The angels said it was the sign. So what was special about the swaddling bands and the manger? Well, let's just think about these shepherds and who they were. These were not just ordinary shepherds. The Jews will tell you that the shepherds who occupied these hills of Bethlehem, they raised flocks for slaughter. They raised flocks for the temple. They were shepherds who, who raised sheep that would be taken to Jerusalem to be sacrificed at the temple. Their sheep were sacrificial sheep. Their lambs were sacrificial lambs. Now they did something with the sacrificial lambs and they identified a lamb for the sacrifice. And remember, there were certain rules regarding the lamb for the sacrifice. Had to be male, had to be male of the first year, had to be without blemish. There couldn't be anything wrong with it. There, there couldn't be any flaws in that creature at all in order that it might be prepared for sacrifice because it would point to the Lamb of God, to the Holy One. And so whenever that lamb was then transported to Jerusalem, it wasn't herded because it could pick up flaws along the way. What did they do with it? They wrapped it in swaddling bands. They swaddled it so that it would be kept pure and without blemish all the way to the altar. So the swaddling bands wrapped around the child. The fact the angel said this is a sign. But there's something more. The manger. Ever see those pictures of mangers? And they're made of wood. It's not right. The mangers in Israel weren't made of wood. They were made of stone. They were stone mangers. And the altar was made of stone. The altar always had to be a place of stone. And there you have the lamb upon the altar. And there you have the swaddled baby lying on a bed of stone. Pointing all the way to the sacrifice on the cross. And, and, and there's so much here as well. The linen was associated with priests. And the salt was applied to every sacrifice. You read the book of Leviticus, you'll read that salt was added to all the sacrifices. Olive oil was added to quite a number of the sacrifices as well. Water was used for purifying the priests. All of these things that were applied to the, the, the baby at a time of birth, they were all associated with sacrifice. And these priests, these shepherds were aware of this because they were raising flocks for Jerusalem. And for the temple. And so all of this points to Calvary. Points to the purpose why he came. You know, Jesus Christ did not come into the world to give us a holiday. He came into the world to give us eternal life by the shedding of his precious blood on that cross. And every time we think of Christ, we cannot view him apart from the cross. We've talked about his poverty already. But let's think about the greatest poverty of all because he was rich. He owned everything. Yet for our sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. 
how he became poor on that cross. Even being separated from his father for those three hours, the cross was his altar. And just as he was wrapped in swaddling bands by a caring mother, so he was wrapped whenever he died in the linen cloths. And there he was taken to the grave. What took place in this stable points us continually to the reason why he came, that we might have eternal life through the blood of his cross. But there's something else I want you to think about here. I want you to think about the pathos. There's something very sad here. We only see his poverty and his passion, but we have the pathos because we're told there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for Jesus in that inn. And so he was born in the stable. Throughout his life, and this sets the tone for his life, throughout his life he was rejected, continually rejected. We, we read about his, his own family. Read about them rejecting him. Rejection is never easy to bear. To be rejected by your own family is the greatest rejection of all. And over in the book of John, chapter 7, and the verse 5, we read concerning our, our Savior. For neither did his brethren believe in him. His, his own family in Galilee, they, they didn't believe in him. He was rejected by his own. Isn't that what we read? He came unto his own. His own received him not. We have the people. The people that rejected him. The rich young ruler, respectable. He had great possessions. The Lord loved him. The Lord loved him. The Lord said, sell all that you have. Come and follow me. The Lord put his finger upon his sin. The Lord knows exactly what our sin is tonight. He knows what your sin is. If you're rejecting Jesus, he knows the very sin that's causing you to reject him. There's nothing about you that he does not know. And yet the Lord loved him. And yet he walked away from Jesus Christ. The Lord loves you. Maybe tonight in your heart, you're planning to walk away from Jesus Christ, just as you've walked away from him before. And whatever your sin is, you know what it is, and God knows what it is. No room for Jesus. There was Pilate, the Roman governor. He sinned against his conscience, refusing to set the Lord free. Choosing a murderer to go free instead of Christ. He blamed others. He blamed the mobs. He blamed them. He blamed the pressure they were putting him under. But it was his decision. And he said, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? He asked the people to make the decision for him, but ultimately he made that decision. Some people are very good at blaming others for their own sins. Excuses, 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 excuses. Not one of them will wash in the day of judgment. Not one of them will be accepted by God as you stand before him because you shall answer for your own sin. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What will you do with him? Pilate had no room for Jesus. 
Think of the disciples. We've thought about his brothers who refused him, but the disciples refused him. Perhaps that was harder still. I believe that it was. You have Judas, a man who spent years with Jesus, and yet he betrayed him for those paltry pieces of silver. No room for Jesus. You have the disciples. The disciples who were not like Judas, because Judas was an apostate. Judas was a man whose seal in hell was set. He claimed to be something that he wasn't. He didn't repent of it. His soul was lost. The disciples were not like that. And yet they forsook him and they fled. You have Peter and those oaths and curses that he uttered. I know not the man. Peter refused him. No room for Jesus. And then we can step forward a generation. The disciples have almost gone. The apostles have almost slipped out into the great eternity. Thank God all those others apart from Judas repented and they were restored and they were given work to do for the Savior. Peter became the great preacher. Never forgot where he went wrong, but Peter's now in glory. The only one that is left is John. John, the dearly beloved. And John's writing to these seven churches in Asia Minor. He's writing to them. He's giving them advice. He's giving them words from the aged apostle, words that come from God himself. And he comes to the church at Laodicea. And he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And there you have a picture of the Lord being outside the door of the church. He's not inside the church. He's outside the church. Why? Because the church have locked the Lord out. The doors are closed. And the Lord's knocking on that door. And he's saying, open the door. Let me come in. And what was the sin that caused them to lock the Lord out? It's their own pride. They thought they had everything. They thought they had enough money and enough wealth and they become so self-sufficient, so self-reliant and they were not depending on him and his grace and they were filled with their own self-importance and the Lord said, you need to see that you need me but you've locked me out. No room for Jesus. You see, the title here is No Room in the Inn. There's a question mark because the question comes to you. Have you room in your heart for Jesus Christ tonight? And it is in your heart you need to make room for Jesus. And that's why Solomon said, Son, he said, give me thy heart. You see, to give your heart to Jesus Christ means that we need to part with our sin. We need to admit that we're sinners before God. That we need to be saved and forgiven. You see, if we were never sinners, Jesus would never have come. If this world wasn't a world of sinners lost, Jesus would not have come into the womb of Mary. Nor would he have been born in this stable. Nor would he have died on that cross. Nor would he have had to rise again from that dead. None of that would have been needed because there would have been no sin. But he came into the world because we're sinners. And so we need to acknowledge our sinfulness. You see, some people, they have no room in their heart for Jesus. They just won't acknowledge their sin. Afraid of what others might say. 
always thought you were a Christian. Afraid of humbling yourself. Perhaps you're just too busy. Too busy with so many things. And Christmas is a very busy time of year. And so many things to do, so many things to attend to. But there's nothing more important than your soul. Everything else can be shelved. Everything else can be put to the one side. But the matter of your soul cannot be put to the one side. And there's no time for accepting Christ like the present. Nobody ever becomes a Christian tomorrow. No one ever was saved tomorrow. In fact, none of us ever did anything tomorrow. We've only got the present. We've only got now. And the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But we look at the people of Bethlehem, and yes, there were those who could have been more kind and more caring and more sacrificial towards a young woman who was about to have a baby. But none of them knew who that child would be. And if they had have known this was the Messiah, I believe that many rooms would have been vacated. People would have sought a, a privilege just to have the Messiah born under their roof, but, but they didn't know. Of course, that doesn't really excuse their sin because we should treat everyone that we know with love, with respect, with sacrifice, with kindness. That's the way we should be. The problem with these people was they didn't do it for Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And quite literally because of that, they didn't do it for the Lord. And whatever we do that's kind in life, we do it unto the very least. We do it unto the Lord. And the Lord talks about that, doesn't he? But still the people of Bethlehem didn't know. But we know we know who this child is. We know what this child accomplished. We know that this child died. We know he rose again. We know that he's the savior of the world. We know that. There's no excuses. Our sins are much greater if we refuse Jesus Christ, knowing full well who he is. And so the real challenge is no room in the inn. Will you bow your head and give your heart to Jesus Christ tonight? Will you surrender yourself to him and say, Lord, save me for I'm a sinner. Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in your heart for which he died. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin, see he knocks and asks admission. Sinner, will you let him in? Let's bow for prayer. You're here tonight without the Lord. Give the Lord your heart now. Lord, save me. You can do that where you're at. If you are concerned, you can talk to me afterwards. We can discuss the things of God. So important. Nothing more important than this, that you might know that Jesus is your Savior. Father, write your word upon every